Good morning, everybody. If you want to turn your Bibles to Judges chapter 11, that's where we'll be. Judges 11 and 12. Jephthah, we kind of got it set up last week um, for Jephthah to be the next judge of Israel. Um, The nation of Israel had come to a place uh, where they were repentant and they wanted to know uh, what they needed to do for God to save them, basically, to come to their defense. And uh, so they cried out, and God said, no, that's not good enough. So they cried out even more, and they said, well, do with us whatever you want to do to us, God. Just don't let them do to us whatever they want to do to us. They would rather be in the hands of a merciful God than in the hands of these uh, unbelievers. And so at that point, God responded and said, yep, I'll step in, um, after they said they had sinned and turned themselves over to uh, his judgment. Um, So that's where we find ourselves today with Jephthah. Jephthah is an interesting character. Um, Chapter 11 uh, will tell us about that. Um, But at this point, the nation of Israel uh, has gathered together all their armies. Um, They're ready to go to war. But the last question we had last week was, who's going to lead us? Who's going to lead us? And so chapter 11, verse 1 starts off with, Now Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty man of valor, but he was the son of a harlot. Um, and Gilead begot Jephthah. Gilead's wife bore sons, and when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall have no inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his borders, or from his brothers and borders, and dwelt in the land of Tob. And worthless men banded together with Jephthah and went out raiding with him. So he turned to a life of crime, basically. Um, of course, it, like I said, we, and I think we've covered this, it's the Wild West out here. Um, at this time in the nation of Israel, um, going out raiding is just, you know, that's just part of traveling. You traveled in caravans for a reason. Caravans couldn't be easily picked off. You didn't go by yourself, you know. Um, and that's why we had, you know, wagon trains going across this country. You know, you had to have that for protection. And so Jephthah was a raider, and he had a bunch of worthless men that banded with him. Now, he's not alone in that sort of scenario. If you remember David, when he had to run from Saul, King David, well, not King yet, but King David, anointed King David, had to run from Saul. He had a bunch of guys that would join with him. And I want to read that over. uh, It's 1 Samuel 22, if you want to turn there. Um, Interesting. And we'll get to it in a few weeks here, but When it describes David's mighty men of valor, because remember, that's what Jephthah is. He's a mighty man of valor, but he had worthless uh, men come to him. Um, David, in chapter 22, verse 2, says this, And everyone who was distress, in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. That was David's mighty men of valor. They turned into mighty men of valor. This is how they started, uh, discontent, in debt, um, and uh, distressed, but they turned into mighty men of valor. And uh, I just think the, it's an interesting comparison to this Jephthah guy. Um, he, you really don't have a say in who bands together with you. You just kind of got to work with the group God gives you, so to speak. And this is who Jephthah got. He was a mighty man of valor, and these guys take on those same characteristics of their leader. And that's a good thing. Just like David, the, he had a bunch of you know, rogues with him, but they turned into mighty men of valor. Now, they didn't always play the part, um, but they were better men because of David. 
and these guys will become better men because of Jephthah. Now, they kicked him out of the house because he just wasn't of them. Um, when you read these judges, it's interesting whom God picks. He could have picked any one of the other brothers, but he didn't. He picks Jephthah, the one that was born from a harlot. It's not Jephthah's fault who his mom is. It's not Jephthah's fault what his dad did. None of that matters. As far as God's concerned, God doesn't see the person based off other people's history. He sees the person. And so he's going to use this Jephthah. This Jephthah was a mighty man of valor, and that's what he needed. That's the same kind of wording that God used to describe Gideon. You mighty man of valor. You know, you brave person. He was looking for those kind of guys. He's kind of a pirate in a sense. No patch, no eye patch probably, but very much a rough character. And that's what God wanted to use. Um, as we get into this a little bit further, um, Jephthah's very egocentric also. He, he talks about himself a lot. He's gonna, you're going to see that in chapter 12 if we get there today, if I can speed things up here. Um, and I just think it's interesting whom God chooses to lead a people in a troubled time. Not to put too fine a point on it. But it's funny, the complaints we find in our leadership currently, when it's kind of what we asked for. For years and years, all I heard Christians say was, man, we need someone who's not a politician. You know what we need? We need a businessman who will run our country because that's what it takes to run a big corporation like America. We need a businessman. And we went on and on and on and on and on. For years we went on about that. And then we got someone. And we got someone who's a street fighter. He's not a boxer. He doesn't put on pads. He doesn't have headgear. They hit him low, he hits them lower. It's just interesting whom God chooses to raise up at certain times in history to get us out of a spiraling decline, which is where we were. We were in a death spiral. Now that death spiral is probably going to continue, not to put you know, a sad face on today, um, but we've been given a reprieve. And I just, I just want people to notice that in, in scriptures, in God's word, look at whom God chooses. These are not the people that Christians would choose. I want this pirate who goes out raiding, who has a bunch of worthless men around him who got kicked out, whose mom was a harlot. That's not someone that you'd look at their resume and say, you're hired. You know, wait till we get to Samson. You think you've got a problem with our current leader. If you do, you're going to just hate Samson. He's a womanizer. Anyway, I don't want to spoil the punchline. That's coming in a few weeks, but look at whom God uses. And what I'm, the point of this is God has a lot more grace and has a much bigger picture than we do. And he'll use people. And I'm excited to read this kind of things because to be honest with you, a lot of us will identify with Jephthah. Some of you won't. Some of you don't get that, don't understand what it means to be kicked out of a family because of a mixed marriage or some kind of weird situation. But I tell you what, more and more people sitting in, in the congregation are all from mixed marriages, most of them. It's very rare to find someone who's just had a family. I'm not saying that's not the way it should be. It should be that way and can be that way. But so many people are coming from this. And so when God uses these things in the Old Testament, we kind of wonder, well, why did he pick Jephthah? Because he knew in 2018, most of the people in church would need to hear about a guy named Jephthah who got kicked out of his family because he was born from the wrong woman. 
And it ministers to people. I love that. God sees way, way ahead of all of us. Someone shared, a chick shared with me this morning a, a video of a pastor who came in on, on a zip line for his sermon talking about, are you ready for Jesus to come back? You know, he's a Baptist preacher at, I don't know, some big church, you know, and I'm looking at this and they said, JD, you ought to do this. I'm like, it would be a really short zip line. I'd probably hit the wall here, but it was designed that, let me give you the background. It's this big, long thing they had put up for the Christmas show. The angel's going to come in on this thing. So he thought, well, as long as this thing's up and we've paid for it, why don't I come in and we'll talk about Jesus coming back. And so this pastor comes back like Jesus is coming back in the clouds. And I'm looking at this and I'm funny that way. I'm going, what a genius idea. But half the commentators were going, so that's how our tithe is being spent. And I'm like, half your, that's the best money you've ever spent. It's got 3 million views on YouTube. And everybody that saw this crazy pastor come in on the thing all heard, are you ready for Jesus to come back? I'm like, that's better than any missionary out there. 3 million people all wondering if they're ready for Christ. And I thought, wow. That's a pastor who is, you know what? And, and, and they did a wonderful interview with the master afterwards. Watch the interview. He's just like, well, I don't know. I don't normally do things. I like to use props sometimes. And I thought I'd get outside of the box this time and come in. And the good news is three million people are now thinking about Jesus. And I'm like, that's it. You know, he doesn't say, and that's what we do around here. We do it big. We do light show. It has nothing to do with that. It had everything to do with some pastor sitting in the middle of the sanctuary watching these guys build this thing for the Christmas play and says, I got a great idea. You know, I think I'd like to do that. He probably tried it out and said, I could do this on Sunday morning. I love that. God is so into getting a hold of people that even in his word, this is the whole segue back to scripture here, that he writes down about Jephthah because he knows in 2018, 19, 20, 21, 22, there's going to be a bunch of people from crazy mixed up households that need to know that God can use them right where they are, no matter what their history He's got a lot of grace. Verse four. So they went out raiding with him. It came to pass after a time that the people of Ammon made war against Israel. And so it was when the people of Ammon made war against Israel that the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Tob, I don't know. Then they said to Jephthah, come and be our commander that we might fight against the people of Ammon. Now they want him back. Hey, Tobite, you know, Jephthah, would you come back and lead our army? We got a bunch of people ready to fight, but nobody knows how to lead a band. But, well, you got a bunch of crazy guys with you, a bunch of commandos, a bunch of raiders who go in and we could use you. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, did you not hate me and expel me from my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you were in distress? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, that is why we have turned again now to you, or to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the people of Ammon and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. We want you to be our king. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, if you take me back home to fight against the people of Ammon and the Lord delivers them to me, shall I be your head? 
And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, the Lord will be a witness between us if we do not do according to your words. So that's their way of saying, I swear to God, you're going to be their king when we're done here. Then Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead and the people made him head and commander over them. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. Mizpah is a funny little place. The word Mizpah, um, defined back in Genesis 31 verse 49, was the place where uh, Jacob uh, and his father-in-law made a pact. We're not going to cross this line. And the place is Mizpah, this line. And what it means is, uh, may God watch over you because I can't watch over you. In other words, I don't trust you as far as I can throw you, but God will keep an eye on you. And you're in trouble with God if you do anything. So it's a, total, a place of total mistrust is where it is. And so they come to this place of Mizpah, and you can kind of get the feel here. Jephthah's like, may God watch over you Gileadites if you ever try to stab me in the back. And the, the other guys are feeling the same way. So it still has that same feel to it. So they do this. They make this pact in front of God, in front of everybody. So verse 12, now Jephthah sent messengers to the king of the people of Ammon. First thing he's going to start off with is some diplomatic relations. Okay, I'm here to fight. I'm here to lead everybody. We got the whole army gathered together, but let's send them a message first. What do you have against me that you have come to fight against me in my land? And that let, lets him know I'm in charge. He must have a reputation. If everybody knows about him, hey, we need to go get this guy. Nobody would think, hey, you remember that guy we kicked out a long time ago? I wonder if he's become a really great warrior. No, they knew who he was. This is a raider. They were scared to death of this guy. He's the pirate. He's Blackbeard of the day, basically. We need that guy. And so everybody knows his history. So now he's writing this letter to the people of Ammon. Oh, Jephthah's in charge. Gives him a little thought, you know, but that's why he's writing this. And the king of the people of Ammon answered the messengers of Jephthah. Here's why we're attacking you. Because Israel took away my land when they came up out of Egypt from the Arnon as far as the Jabbok and to the Jordan. Now, therefore, restore those lands peaceably. We want peace too, but you stole our lands. You're going to love today's history lesson. It's amazing how history repeats itself. Give us back the land. You took it from us. You weren't so... Now, if none of us had read what we've already read, we'd all say, well, that's right. They did kind of come in and kick everybody out, so I can see why they're upset. That's not the people of Ammon. In fact, the people of Ammon were, God told specifically Israel, when you come in, don't touch the people of Ammon because that's the land that I gave to Lot. You can't touch them, go past them, go around them. And they didn't. What happened, if you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 30, I'm going to give you a synopsis because it's kind of like two columns long. So let me give you the breakdown, but that's where you can read it. Deuteronomy 2, chapter 30. They come into the land, they want to go around through Edom. You remember the Edomites said, you can't come around us. You've got to go a different way. So they find another path around. They get to the people of Ammon. Can we come through? We won't take anything. And if where people do, we know there's a lot of us and somebody might go rogue and grab something from your well. We'll pay for it. People of Ammon said, no way. So they went around. But the people of Ammon got upset and worried and mistrusted and they decided to build up an army and they went after Israel after they had decided to go around their country. And so Israel defended themselves and absolutely wiped them out and took their land. That's how this all went down. So after the loss, years and years and years and years, generations ago, they're like, you took our land. You picked a fight with us. You decided to go to war with us. 
So yeah, we fought back. We're not going to just let you kill us. So now this is their story. So Jephthah answers, verse 14, again, sent messengers to the king of the people of Ammon and said to them, thus says Jephthah, Israel did not take away the land of Moab, nor the land of the people of Ammon. For when Israel came up from Egypt, they walked through the wilderness as far as the Red Sea and came to Kadesh. Then Israel sent messengers to the king of Edom, saying, Please, let me pass through your land. But the king of Edom would not heed. And in like manner he sent to the king of Moab, but the, he would not consent. So Israel remained in Kadesh. And they went along through the wilderness and bypassed the land of Edom and the land of Moab, came to the east side of the land of Moab, and encamped on the other side of Arnon. But they did not enter the border of Moab, for the Arnon was the border of Moab. Then Israel sent messengers to Sion, king of the Amorites. This is where they come into play. King of Heshbon. And Israel said to them, please let us pass through your land into our place. But Sion did not trust Israel to pass through his territory. So Sion gathered all his people together and camped at Jahaz and fought against Israel. And the Lord God of Israel delivered Sion and all his people into the hand of Israel, and they defeated them. Thus Israel gained possession of all the land of the Amorites who inhabited that country. They took possession of all the territory of the Ammonites, uh, Amorites from Arnon to, uh, to the Jabbok and from the wilderness to the Jordan. I mean, it's basically what I just said. I probably should have just read it instead of giving it twice. But. So he's like, no, no, no. I know my history. This is not how it went down. Now the Lord God of Israel has dispossessed the Amorites from before his people Israel. Should you then possess it? If God took it away from you, should I give it back to you? Will you not possess uh, whatever Shamash your God gives you to possess? Our God took your land away from you. Why doesn't your God take your land back, basically? So it's getting a little heated now. So whatever the Lord our God takes a possession of before us, we will possess. We're not going to give anything back that God gave us. And now are you any better than Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever strive against Israel? Did he ever fight against them? While Israel dwelt in Heshbon and its villages in Eror and its villages in all the cities along the banks of the Arnon for 300 years, why did you not recover them within that time? Why now? I mean, you've had 300 years to get this back. It's been generations since that took place. And now you want it back. Now that we're weak, now that we're, you know, why didn't you fight for it before? Verse 27, here's the punchline. Therefore, I have not sinned against you, but you wronged me by fighting against me. May the Lord, the judge, render judgment this day between the children of Israel and the people of Ammon. However, the king of the people of Ammon did not heed the words of Jephthah sent him. So it's on, okay? Yeah, right, we're not gonna fight you. Okay, here's your, here's your lesson. All we hear in the news when it comes to Israel are three things. You got the Golan Heights, you've got the West Bank, and you've got the Gaza Strip. Now, if you don't know where those are, Israel's kind of shaped like this, long, lean area. The West Bank is where, let be this side for you guys, the Jordan, on this side of the Jordan, this huge chunk of land. So Israel should look like this, almost like a barbell or a dumbbell, basically. Up here is the Golan Heights, very high, and Syria is right above, and down here, is this little strip called the Gaza Strip, okay, which is actually part of uh, the Sinai Peninsula, which is going to come in handy here in a minute. Israel gets to be a nation, 1948, right? The uh, UN gives them the land, gives them that barbell-shaped land, and they were happy. It's all we wanted. Great. Let us live peaceably. Let us live here. 
war begins to start up. 1966, actually. It begins to brew up. All the nations, Syria, Iraq, Jordan, and Egypt, all want to wipe Israel off the map and push them in. So 1967, June 5th, the Six-Day War begins. Four divisions of Egyptian troops are in the Sinai Peninsula, right there up against the border. Okay? You've got the the Jordanians have moved their tanks into the West Bank and are about ready to. And Syria is now in the Golan Heights and they're beginning to lob shells. Israel's thinking, we're going to get crushed. So they launch a preemptive strike, knowing this is about to all go down. They get their airplanes up in the air and they begin to go for the airstrips. The Jordanians begin to send signals down to the Egyptians. They're up. The planes are up. This is it. This is the attack. Get your planes off the ground. But they hadn't transferred codes yet, so they weren't communicating. God has caused confusion amongst all the enemies of Israel. It's a beautiful story. Miraculous story. They fly off. They wipe out the entire Egyptian Air Force, the entire Syrian Air Force, and the Jordanians are stuck on the ground going, Oy vey, what have we done? And so in one day, all the air is Israel's now. They move into the West Bank. They begin to push these guys back. They move into the Sinai Peninsula. The tanks punch through the line of Egypt down in the Sinai Peninsula and begin to bust them out. And they, the Egyptians are like, run, run, run. And they just run and they leave their stuff behind. So much stuff is left behind. And they didn't scuttle their gear like they're supposed to. So much stuff is left behind that they were, Israel took their gear and was able to armor up four uh, regiments of their own. They got to build four new regiments with all the tanks and stuff they got from there. Jordan ran tail all the way over here. So when you talk about occupied West Bank, which is what they call it, Israeli occupied West Bank, why is it occupied? It's occupied because they use it as a strategic advantage to wipe Israel off the map. And they said, no, 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 no. If we give this back to you, you're going to just do it again. They actually gave back the entire Sinai Peninsula. They only kept the Gaza Strip. The Sinai Peninsula looks like this on a map. The Gaza Strip looks like this. They gave that all back to Egypt. They've now given back the tiny little Gaza Strip back to Egypt. Well, it's the Palestinians, whoever. doesn't matter. And the Golan Heights they've kept because Syria was up there launching, launching missiles for them. It's the exact same story. We just wanted to live peaceably. We want to wipe you off the face of the map. They picked a fight. They lost. The West Bank is never going to go back to Jordan. It should never go back to Jordan. The, the, the Golan Heights should never go back to Syria. The Gaza Strip should have never gone back. In fact, I think they probably should have kept the Sinai Peninsula, but, you know, they didn't ask me. It's the same story. And so when you hear that in the news, and you hear this boycott Israel stuff because of all the stuff they're doing to the poor people and all that, no, they're not. No, they're not. Read, read God's word. Look how this happens. You took this land from us, says the Jordanians. Well, kind of. You did bombard us with shells and tanks at the time, and we pushed you back to where you came from, and we kept your land on this side of the Jordan, which, by the way, according to God's word, has always been theirs and should have never been Jordanian territory. That's my history lesson for today. So whenever you watch the news, you read that, now you kind of have a background like, yeah, 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 there it is. There's the world trying to shove Israel off the map. You know, no. They need to keep the Golan Heights. They need to keep the Gaza Strip. There's no settlements. It's settlements because it's theirs. And they should keep settling the West Bank. That's ridiculous. Okay. All right, moving on. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, 
and passed through Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead, he advanced toward the people of Ammon. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the people of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. Now this is a, a twist, a sad twist. He didn't need to do that. God never asks us for sacrifices. He never asks us for vows. He wants our yes to be yes and our no to be no. God, if you get me out of this, I promise I'll be a priest the rest of my life. Whatever it is that we make up, this was a really stupid one. God had already told him he's going to do it. He's going to win. He's called him to it. Um, but then he says, I just want to make sure God's on my side. So whatever comes out of the house to meet me, um, he's hoping a chicken, maybe a goat, maybe a, a wayward cow even, if worst case scenario, it's not. So Jephthah advanced towards the people of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hands. And he defeated them from Aror as far as Minith, 20 cities, and to Abel Karimim, uh, uh, excuse me, and a very great slaughter. Thus the people of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. When Jephthah came to his house at Mizpah, there was his daughter coming out to meet him with timbrels and dancing, and she was his only child. Imagine. Um, besides what goes down next, um, that is how daughters greet their dads, you know, and it's a beautiful sight. And she'd probably been making, you know, you, as, a, as a dad, you kind of know your daughters and, and Mariah's notorious for this. She'll, she'll make signs if I've been gone or something. She'll, the whole front door will be covered with signs, welcome home dad, and all these things, and just awesome stuff, you know, and, and, and before I even get out of the door, she's already out the door running after me, you know, um, to, to give me a hug or whatever, and so are the other kids, and it's exciting. So you can see the picture here. She's been making this timbrel all day long. It's like a hoop with streamers on it, you know, I'm going to make this. When dad comes home, I'm going out, you know, kind of thing, and she's dancing, so I'm so excited that he didn't die, you know, dad the raider, you know, it's funny, this pirate has a, has a family, you know, and it's his daughter. So she comes out. Um, besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her that he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you brought uh, me very low. You are among those who trouble me. For I have given my word to the Lord and I cannot go back on it. So she said to him, My father, if you have given your word to the Lord... Do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth. Because the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the people of Ammon. What a sweet heart, right? Well, I've been praying that God would bring you home too, and he did. So whatever you promise God, you need to do it, you know. Sweet girl. Then she said to her father, let this thing be done for me. Let me alone for two months that I may go and wander on the mountains and bewail my virginity with my friends and I. So they go to the mountains. And we don't know exactly what that's all about. A ceremony, a, a mourning period that I never got to be married and never got to have children um, or, you know, whatever. And so they do this. And so he said, go. And he sent her away for two months and she went with her friends and bewailed her virginity on the mountains. And it was at the end of two months that she returned to her father and he carried out his vow. With her, which he had vowed, she knew no man. Now, a lot of commentators say that what he did was um, he sacrificed an animal and she had to remain a virgin the rest of her life and all that, but that's not how it reads. Um, it reads exactly what you think it means. 
it reads that he sacrificed her to God. Um, and here's the problem. And here's the, hopefully the answer at the same time. You know, what in the world you know, was this guy thinking, first of all? God has prescribed in his law, when you have a firstborn child, what you need to do, and that is to provide an animal sacrifice for this child. Of course, the child is the Lord's, but you don't literally do human sacrifice. God forbid that. You cannot do that. And so there was a way for this to happen. You give up a lamb or whatever it is, two turtle doves, depending on what the child was, a boy or a girl, and, and, and then you would offer up this child to the Lord. Um, symbolically, you know, he's yours or she's yours. Um, but this guy has been surrounded his whole life by pagans. Human sacrifice is totally common. He hasn't been in the nation of Israel. He's been off, remember that. He's been surrounded by worthless men. Um, I'm not trying to help him out here, but I'm just trying to get into his mind a little bit as to why he thought he had to follow through on this. These are the kind of people, the people that are surrounding Jephthah his whole life are the people that would take a baby and bury it in their foundation of their house, asking the God of Shamash to bless their house. Bizarre, crazy, demonic stuff. And so this guy has a misunderstanding about the true and living God, doesn't he? He's mixed something that he's heard from other religions and he's brought it into the true religion of worshiping the true and living God. And he's made the mistake of, a, of applying this principle that was meant for some other crazy demonic God and applied it to his God. Now, that's the point I want to make today is despite the fact that this guy should have never done this and I'm, I'm confident God would have let him out of his vow, just give me a lamb, that'll be fine. We need to check ourselves once in a while, do a little checklist. What have I brought into Christianity that's from other religions, that's from other gods and I've made it out to be something that's pleasing to God? And I'm, I don't have any points. I mean, I'm not going to say and this and this and this and this should all go in our lives. That's up to you. But we need to do an inventory once in a while of, of our walk with Jesus. And what, what have I brought into this walk that maybe I picked up from other things, from the world even? And I've applied it to Christ. And I've thought, well, you know, God must be pleased with this. No, no, their gods are pleased with this. They love that. But our gods never called us to do that. It's so much safer to just worship God the way he's prescribed us to worship him, you know, and live our lives the way he's asked us to live our lives and not try to bring in extra stuff because that's what this vow is. God never required Jephthah to, now, I want you to make a vow before I'm going to be with you. No, I don't want you to vow. I just want you to trust me and I'm going to be with you, you know, because I've said I'm going to be with you. So Jephthah brings this vow in that God's never asked him to do. He's made this vow. He's killed his daughter. Um... There's a bunch of heartache that was completely unnecessary. And so we need to watch that. So, and it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went four days each year to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite. Now, we'll wrap this up in chapter 12. It's very short, very brief. Then the men of Ephraim, remember these guys? These are the guys that had the same, they had a problem with, Gilead, or, uh, uh, with Gideon. Remember they came up to Gideon, how come he didn't let us fight with you? You know, because you guys are a bunch of weenies and you didn't want to come. But he was, more, he was more diplomatic than that, but Jephthah's not. Then the men of Ephraim gathered together and crossed over toward Zephon after the fight. Isn't that funny? And said to Jephthah, why did you cross over to fight against the people of Ann and did not call us to go with you? They love the glory. We just want some of that glory that you're getting right now. We will burn your house down on you with fire. Real tough. You know, you didn't want to go up the, against the armies of 
uh, Arnon, they, we, we read last week, they'd all gathered together. Where was Ephraim? Why didn't they all gather together to fight? Everybody else showed up without a leader. So they're blaming Jephthah. But now that it's just one guy, we're going to burn your house down. Typical, these guys. But now here's where we get into Jeff, Jephthah's egocentric. Now you can circle in your Bible all the times he says I and my and me in this. Okay, watch this. And Jephthah said to them, my people and I were in a great struggle with the people of Ammon. And when I called you, you did not deliver me out of their hands. So when I saw that you would not deliver me, I took my life in my hands and crossed over against the people of Ammon, and the Lord delivered them into my hand. Why then have you come up to me this day to fight against me? That's a lot of personal pronouns. <laughs> this guy's got... Does anybody, can anybody think of somebody like that? Okay, then. Lay off the guy. You know, I'm not saying you guys are a part of that crowd, but look, he pick, God picks who he picks. And, and I don't know, I just see some similarities here is all. Now, Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead and fought against Ephraim. Fine, you want to fight? Let's fight. And the men of Gilead defeated Ephraim because they said, you Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among the Manassites. The Gileadites seized the fords of the Jordan um, before the Ephraimites arrived. And when any Ephraimite who escaped said, let me cross over, the men of Gilead would say to him, are you an Ephraimite? And if he said no, then they would say to him, then say, <laughs> Shibboleth. And he would say, Shibboleth. Instead of Shibboleth, he'd say Sibboleth. They couldn't make the sh sound. That's how they despised it. They had a, they had a speech problem. <laughs> say, say Shibboleth, Sibboleth. No, no, Shibboleth, Sibboleth. <laughs> no, you're an Ephraimite. For he could not pronounce it right. Then they would, aren't these stories great? If you didn't read the Old Testament, you'd never have these awesome stories like this, right? We got to read this stuff. Then they would take him and kill him at the force of the Jordan. So as soon as he said, Sibboleth, stab. And they'd move on to the next guy. And the other guy's practicing in the line. Can you hear him? Shib. <laughs> it's your turn. <laughs> I'm just going to go back. That's what I would have said. Then Jephthah judged Israel six years, and Jephthah the Gileadite died and was buried along the cities of Gilead. After him, and we run through a couple other judges here, after him, uh, Ibzan of Bethlehem judged Israel. He had 30 sons, and he gave... I can't get over that, sorry. <laughs> That's... I just got this picture in my mind of this long line of people all practicing to say that word. And he gave away 30 daughters uh, in marriage and brought in 30 daughters from elsewhere for his sons. He judged Israel seven years and Isban died and was buried in Bethlehem. So there's another judge. Here's another one. After him, Elon, the Zebulonite, judged Israel. He judged Israel 10 years and Elon, uh, the Zebulonite, died and was buried at Ajalon, uh, Ajalon uh, in the country of Zebulun. Okay, and here's the third one. And after him, um, Abdon, the son of Halil, uh, the Parathonite, judged Israel. Uh, he had 40 sons and 30 grandsons who rode on 70 young donkeys, rich, that means they're wealthy. Uh, he judged Israel 80 years. Then uh, Abdon, the son of um, Halil, the path, uh, Parathonite, died and was buried in Parathon, uh, uh, Pirathon, however, in the land of Ephraim, in the mountains of the Amalekites. And that's where we close today. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these wonderful examples of men and women at times whom you used 
Um, by your grace, you just called upon these people and they answered your call. Lord, help us to be those kind of people that you can call upon us, no matter what our background, no matter what we think of ourselves or what other people think of us, God, that when you call, though, we answer your call and we obey um, and we do what you ask us to do. We pray that your spirit would come upon us um, like your spirit came upon them and that we'd be empowered by you to do your work, um, that we'd be equipped by you to do your work, whatever you call us to do. And we thank you for the opportunities you give us each and every day to be your ministers down here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, have a good rest of the week, guys.